Welcome to this recording of the Activist Lawyer podcast, brought to you from the Granite Podcast Studio in the heart of Newry City. We're delighted that you could join us again at Activist Lawyer, where we will be discussing a range of topical matters engaging not only with lawyers, but people who are committed to highlighting and combating injustices and inequalities. We will bring you our thoughts and invite you to share yours. We'll be looking for contributors to our blog at www.activistlawyer.com as we want your perspective as we unravel and unpack a host of issues. So my name is Sarah Henry. I'm a solicitor practicing in Newry City, specialising in immigration law. I worked with a human rights firm in Dublin for many years and with a number of rights-based organisations and charities. I'm looking forward to meeting some fantastic guests throughout this series. So thank you again for joining us. And none other than we have Kieran O'Hare with us today. Thank you, Kieran, for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Kieran is a solicitor, and I'm going to go through his bio here for anybody who isn't familiar. Kieran is a human rights lawyer who has acted in some of the biggest cases to come before the courts in Northern Ireland and the Supreme Court in recent times. So very excited to have Kieran here today. He acted in the Supreme Court prorogation proceedings in 2019 and was the only solicitor from Northern Ireland involved in these Supreme Court proceedings. He also acted in the Brexit proceedings in 2016, arguing that Brexit breached the Good Friday Agreement and that case also proceeded to the Supreme Court. In these proceedings, the case he was dealing with was the lead case for Northern Ireland. So very, very impressive there. Kieran O'Hare works in the Belfast firm Ive McIver Farrell. He trained at Donard King and Cohen Balnahinch and then worked at another Belfast firm before joining McIver Farrell in 2014. He practices in both the north and south of Ireland. He lives in Kilku, so not too far down not the road. Not too far away. And is married with two children and his wife, we just had a little chat about it there, <laughs> is expecting their third child around a Valentine's Day, but could, right. could be a little bit earlier. So two boys, two boys, Kieran and Ronan, uh, four and two. Wow. <laughs> busy. <laughs> that is busy, yeah. Um, he almost missed the birth of Kieran. This is, oh gosh, because he was in that Supreme Court case in London. So hopefully you'll be here this time round. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Dealing with the 2016 Brexit case, but also very important. Um, so you had to get the early flight home then. <laughs> That's right. Had to get out of there. Oh, no. So extremely, extremely busy times, um, both with work and with family life. And the, so the second child was born in the middle of the border pull case then in Dublin, um, when you had it in the Dublin High Court. That's right. Now, Kieran is dealing with challenges regarding, very importantly, our hospital waiting list, which is something we're going to talk about in detail today. Uh, but hopefully there won't be any hearing dates in and around when the next baby is born. So it'll all be smooth running, we hope. Fingers yeah, crossed. But you can't predict these things, no. so you just don't know what's around the corner, especially um, in the times we live in. So you had to cancel your family holiday in 2019 to attend the UK Supreme Court. Well, you know what? <laughs> I, hope, I hope you really don't come up against anything this time and you do get a holiday eventually because it seems like you've had a lot going on. Um, you've recently lodged an appeal with the UK Supreme Court regarding a case concerning the government's policy surrounding the border poll and Irish unity referendum, which again we're going to speak to um, in, speak about in a little more detail. Kieran's also a specialist in legacy cases and challenges against the government and public authorities. He is currently dealing with a case on behalf of the victims' rights activist Raymond McCord, whereby he's seeking a declaration that his Article 2 rights have been and are being violated because there has never been an inquest in respect of his son's murder in over 23 years now. This case is just one of two cases in Northern Ireland dealing with this issue. 
all of the other cases have been held in abeyance waiting the outcome of these cases. Okay, so a lot there to grapple with, Kieran. <laughs> how how do, you, do you get any time out at all? Or <laughs> Well, I think it's fair to say that I've been extremely busy uh, from really joining MacGyver Farrell's solicitors in, in 2014. Um, I, I'd never uh, dealt with any judicial review cases prior to that. Um, as you say, I had... Um, I had trained in in Donner King and Co, um, and uh, really uh, the training there was um, it, it was just it was brilliant. I was exposed to all areas of law. Um, I, I got a really good grounding. Um, so I, I I really I cut my teeth there, and then the next firm that I went to, um, there was a partner had left. It was a three partner firm, and a partner had left, and essentially um, his caseload had to. Um, be uh, dealt with, and uh, that was my that was my role. I I went I went into that firm, and I assumed his entire caseload at quite a young age, um, and it was uh, predominantly a civil caseload. So, I had plenty of good experience, and um, whenever I uh, went on to join MacGyver Farrell then in two thousand and fourteen, I started off. I dealt with my uh, first ever judicial review, uh, which was uh, a case of uh, Marina Lennon. Um, slash McKeown, uh, she she was McKeown then, uh, and really it, it's 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 went from there, and um yeah uh, so so to cut a long story short, I've been extremely busy um and and extremely fortunate to have had uh, a really good run so far of uh, of very interesting and and high profile cases. Um, so in terms of uh, time out, not too much time out, but I'm I'm ha- I'm happy <laughs> but enough. But enjoying yeah, your work, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, absolutely. So that was your first judicial review, and I think that was the widows, um, the widowed parents alliance case. That's right. Um, yeah. Okay. So you've had um, and have a broad range of cases that are all, I think, of public importance and public interest, particularly some of the cases that we're going to focus on today. And I have to say it was hard to kind of narrow in on, you know, and I know you're saying that was your first challenge back. That was about six years, just over six years ago. Um, But I think some of the cases that you've worked on, particularly those related to Brexit and maybe some of the issues arising out of those cases uh, are really, really important and uh, might pave the way for, you know, later very important developments in this this part of the world in particular so we'll we'll look at that but I think given the times we're in and we can't avoid talking about this and I think nearly every podcast episode we've done so far this is our seventh we've touched on obviously the pandemic and COVID so one of the cases that you're working on at the minute is quite unique um, and it really struck me I read a report a BBC report on the waiting lists and the impact that COVID-19 or perhaps the impact that government decisions are having I suppose we'll talk about the source of the problem perhaps um, on Northern Ireland it's something that's really escalating and we had a little chat there about uh, Edwin Poots who if anybody doesn't know he's a Northern Ireland MLA and a member of the DUP party sadly has been diagnosed with cancer and is battling cancer so very sad news but again like everybody here I guess he's not immune from the problem around waiting lists and treatment there is also you know the option for people to go private and but of course that's not an option available to everybody but you Kieran, have been in the thick of a challenge that I think is coming up for full hearing on the 27th of January Yes. So maybe we might have a little talk about that and uh, the particulars around that case. 
No problem. Um, yes, that that um, it's actually two cases uh, that are that are being uh, essentially run together. Um, and what what these cases are about are how our health system here in Northern Ireland is really failing in terms of our in terms of our waiting lists. Um, if 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 you look at what what's been happening here in Northern Ireland, really from two thousand and nine, um, there has been a, a an emerging trend of hospital waiting lists getting longer and longer, and the every every single year, um, the the um number of people in Northern Ireland on waiting lists has increased rapidly and we're now at a stage where I think it, it's not um, far-fetched to say that the um, health system here is actually is broken. It is broken um, and uh, and now we're in a position where our broken health system has to try and grapple with COVID-19. Um, so you, you see all of the reports in the media of people being treated in um, ambulances and um you know, cancer uh, surgeries being cancelled. It just, the, it, the mind boggles as to how we've allowed the situation to deteriorate over all of these years. Um, I mean, COVID-19 was always going to be a challenge, but if our, if our hospitals uh, and our waiting lists weren't as bad, then yes, they would still be busy, but they would be able to cope. Yeah. Um, th- so really, it's been, a, it's been a problem there for many years now, and there's, there was never a, a legal challenge um, in, in relation to the hospital waiting lists. And I think sometimes my personal opinion is that what, what happens with these big, chunky social issues is that they become accepted. People just say, oh, well, it is what it is. There's nothing can be done about that. And um, we, we all just accept the position that um, in Northern Ireland, you, you have to wait um, to get your treatment. But, you know, I've, I've two, the two clients taking these cases... Um, Eileen Wilson and May Kitchen, um, they 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 both are, uh, obviously clients of mine. They approached me and uh, in, in particular Eileen Wilson. Um, she said, "You know, Kieran, I'm waiting almost four years now to see a neurologist, um, and I live every day worrying whether or not I have um, MS, multiple sclerosis." And I it just it struck me um, how how can this be uh, allowed in modern day society? Um, you know what? What is the, what's the rationale behind all of this? And and, and the same thing then, with Mrs. Kitchen. Um, Mrs. Kitchen was losing her sight. She said that she was uh, bumping into things, and and uh, she, she w- was a nurse for forty years, and uh, she told me that she was sure that um, she was going to lose her sight waiting on cataract surgery. So really, it it struck me um, that this was um, unacceptable. Um, and uh, that that then prompted me to look at the law and see what the legal position was. And wh- whenever you look at the Health and Social Care Reform Act, um, Northern Ireland, whenever one looks at that, it's glaringly obvious, uh, in my opinion, uh, that there is a, an onus um, on our Department of Health and Trusts here to provide effective health care. It's as simple as that. Um, the, the wording is in the statute. It says effective healthcare, and you know that that does not tally mm-hmm. with them um, with, with with what we have uh, with our waiting list. So, I mean, I think it's actually a very straightforward point. And um, what we want the court to do 
and they, these are these are judicial review cases and uh, as i say that is my area of expertise and uh, what what we want the court to do in these judicial review cases is to um, simply make a declaration uh, that what is happening here is unlawful mm-hmm. gosh so i mean none of us are immune to these issues here that you've just spoken about and as you said, I mean, the way you put it, it is straightforward. If, you know, the law is providing that effective health care, it should be provided and that's not happening. And I mean, COVID isn't necessarily a factor here. It could be deemed, I suppose, a catalyst for highlighting the problems that already exist um, and for shining, you know, kind of a spotlight here. But this is a very particular problem to Northern Ireland as opposed to other parts of the UK. That's and right. it just strikes me as very odd that, as you rightly said, this has been going on for, for years, this problem with a broken NHS, a broken healthcare system, waiting lists, and nobody has challenged it. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's you're in a unique position. And you've mentioned two uh, women there who are obviously suffering and struggling through as a result of this. But we all know somebody in that position, you know. That's right. So um, just going forward then... Uh, we can talk a little bit more about that case, but just in general, COVID and the impact it has on issues like this and public law, is there anything else that you can, you know, the problems that maybe are arising within our society and our community here as a result of this relating to the case that you're working on? Now? There's no doubt that COVID has had a, a widespread effect on all of society. Um, and, ju- you know, just tying it in uh, with the legal profession, the effect on the profession, I mean, the courts um, have uh, slowed down uh, dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, these are very difficult times for practitioners. Um, and uh, t- tying COVID into um, what we just discussed there, the hospital waiting list, um, there was a story in the in the news uh, just yesterday about uh, mental health in Northern Ireland and the effect that COVID-19 has had on um, people's um mental mental health and also including nurses um apparently um, that is going to be um a massive issue yeah. uh, coming out of uh, the pandemic uh, in particular here in northern ireland and uh, be- because of the pressures on the health system um nurses uh, being diagnosed with uh, ptsd um so you know mental health um pressures in the health service um obviously there's uh, the economic consequences of all of this um i i my opinion is that um we are going to be looking at a um, bleak uh, economic um future uh particularly whenever the furlough scheme ends uh, which i believe is uh the end of april, april yeah. um a lot of solicitors are still uh, furloughed um and uh, indeed even in my own firm two of my colleagues are uh, still furloughed so they are they're, they're very difficult times and yes they're very um big issues coming out of uh, covid-19 mm-hmm. yeah i mean it touches almost every aspect of society um but so with your case it's gone to hearing on the 27th of january and the outcome of that will be to get a declaration that the extreme length here in relation to these waiting lists is in breach of the statutory, statutory duty of the Northern Ireland government and in breach of their human rights. Is that what you're... Yes, well, we, we, in both cases, uh, the court granted leave um, on the 13th of January. So mm-hmm. what that means is we have been... Um, basically, the court has given us permission uh, to go to a full hearing. Right. But uh, the 27th of January, um, the, the cases are just in for review, review. Okay. Um, because 
there is um, there is so much work that needs to now uh, be uh, completed in respect to these cases before we can go to a full hearing. For example, the Department of Health and the Trust, uh, they, you know, they have to be given the opportunity to put their evidence forward. So they're, they're going to have to put evidence forward as to why, uh, uh, you know, explain why we are in this position. Right. So um, that could take uh, a wee while. Um, I suspect that we won't get a full hearing uh, until um, maybe after the summer. Okay, well, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that one and keep in touch with you around the outcome. So that's really, really crucial and really important. And just moving on to a slightly different, but also, I suppose, depending on your outlook, um, grim matter, which is Brexit, yes. another issue that we have all had to grapple with here, you know, in various parts of the world as well. I mean, there's uh, people affected by Brexit living, living everywhere. But just focusing in here on uh, Northern Ireland, you've had a really... I suppose, particular and unique experience in challenging a number of issues, Brexit related, but maybe also kind of linking into very specific Northern Ireland uh, related cases. Just uh, we mentioned briefly in the uh, introduction, but just for listeners, Kieran's been involved in some of the most high profile cases that really hit hard at, I suppose, the reality that we face and how Brexit is impacting people here and citizens in general. This in turn led to questions and debates, of course, uh, around the issue of the border here. So the border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland and the potential of a border poll and Irish unity, which again is something that's a very live matter at the moment. So one of the landmark cases that you were involved in hearing concerns the circumstances in which a border poll will be held in Northern Ireland and this is was largely brought about by a victim's rights campaigner, Mr. Raymond McCord, who argued that it is in and you argued that it is unlawful that the criteria for a border border poll is still unknown. Yes. Um, so you've recently lodged an appeal with the UK Supreme Court regarding this matter and um, the government's policy around you. Irish unity and a border poll and again I think because of actually leaving Brexit so the 31st of December 2020 was the end of the transition period we're there now so we're in the Brexit aftermath and I think given that what has happened with this border down the Irish Sea the reality of Brexit is certainly heading home it's hitting businesses who put coronavirus and the impact of that aside for one minute businesses and individuals are now grappling also with the impact of of brexit people who supported brexit our politicians here are saying this isn't the one the vision that they'd voted for when they're starting to see empty shelves and you know um crossings having problems with getting goods in and out of uh, out of northern ireland not just the uk so huge issues happening at the moment Um, But just going back to your case, I think it's important to go into a little bit of detail because it is quite a complex matter, particularly if you're not from here. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been determined that the Secretary of State and the British government does not have a policy in respect of the border poll. So the case centres around the legal duty to have a policy and paragraphs one and two of the Schedule, um, Schedule 1 of the Northern Ireland Act, which provides separate and distinct mechanisms by which a border poll may be convened. So under paragraph one, the Secretary of State may call a border poll. So that's something that's being 
discussed in yes. various fractions of society at the moment. And this paragraph um, confers a wide discretionary power without any statutory curtailment. So paragraph two then gives both a power and a duty in that it mandates that the Secretary of State shall call a border poll when it appears likely to him or her that a majority of those voting would express a wish that Northern Ireland should cease to be part of the United Kingdom and form part of a united Ireland. This condition precedent is only applicable under paragraph two, not paragraph one. Therefore, the applicant in this matter says that there ought to be a policy in respect of the mandatory provision. Yes. How is that going? <laughs> yes. No, it's a, it's a very, very interesting case. Mm. And it, it's, a, it's a privilege to be, you know, to be yes. the solicitor involved in that case because um, it's the cornerstone um, the principle of consent is essentially the cornerstone of the peace uh, here in Northern Ireland, the peace agreement, Good Friday Agreement, um, which uh, obviously is now, I think, what would it be, 23 years old or thereabouts. Um, th- so that's that's the cornerstone of the peace because what the, um, what, uh, and the, the Northern Ireland Act, um, it, which incorporated the agreement, what the Northern Ireland Act um, allows for is a border poll. So that that um, uh, obviously both both unionists and nationalists here in Northern Ireland um, are sat, you know were satisfied with the agreement that look um, if it ever uh, appears likely that there would be uh, a change in society uh, that people would vote for United Ireland then a border poll would take place and the mm-hmm. Secretary of State has that power to convene a poll. But obviously, in all the years, um, you know, tw- twenty-three odd years, there has never uh, been a referendum on Irish unity. Um, unlike Scotland, where there has been uh, uh, an independence referendum, we haven't had one. Um, and it it just you know it seems that the British government has really just buried its head in the sand here. Um, it's such as it's such a you know nearly taboo subject. You can't talk about the border poll. Any any time there's uh, the issue of the border poll um, raised, it just it stirs up so much emotion within society. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, we're now in a we're now in a situation where we are out of Europe. Uh, Brexit um, has uh, has happened, um, and and Brexit has had some um, you know dire consequences for. Um, for people, for you know, economically, it was all you know all of the academics, um, prior you know the majority of academics prior to Brexit were saying that Northern Ireland would become uh, an economic wasteland, mm-hmm. and that I think that uh, that that is we we that is happening. Uh, Brexit is having negative impacts. You know, you, you mentioned there about you know food shortages. That I mean that that's only the tip of the iceberg. Yes. The worst yeah. is yet to come. So where where am I going with this? Um, be, uh, essentially, uh, th- that constitutional change being outside of Europe now, and uh, with with the negative effects of Brexit, mm. it just means that um, the issue of the border poll has never uh, been as uh, important, and mm. there's there's still no indication as to whether or not one will be called at at any stage in mm-hmm. the in the near future. You know. Yeah, and I guess. Um the issue has been discussed for years, and it was only recently that um, the First Minister Arlene Foster kind of dismissed uh, the question when it was put forward to her by a journalist, and she said, "Yeah, the matter has been brought up many, many times. It's been discussed, but you know, she kind of implied that it would go nowhere." But 
times have changed, as you said, and we're now living in a very different landscape than we were even two, three years ago. And it was okay to talk about things and the prospect of having a border poll. But as you say now, when the reality hits home, even people who never, never would have considered this discussion are now starting to get involved. And I'm talking about high profile politicians who are maybe moving towards even talking about it, the narrative and the context within which we find ourselves now and preparing for that. But as you said, and with your case, it really highlights the lack of certainty around this. And for example, one of those pieces is that you don't really know who could vote. I mean, there's so many issues that need to be ironed out. Yes. And I think personally, and this is just my personal opinion, the call for maybe something like a citizens assembly, which they commenced in the Republic of Ireland to discuss referendum issues. And they really largely worked quite well, you know, might be a starting point. You know, I think it is something that needs to be discussed at least. But as you say, without the will there to really iron out the important issues, the uncertainty that still exists, that's difficult to do. Um, and your your client himself, so Mr. McCord is a unionist. That's he himself, right. like many people here, hold both Irish and British citizen, uh, citizenship. And he's a very strong supporter of the Good Friday Agreement. And of course, peace here, you know, and he's he's happy with um, the fact that there is, I suppose, um, peace for all people on, on the island. But his concerns are that how this will be damaged by Brexit. And as you say, we're only it's only the tip of the iceberg. We're just scratching the surface. So it's very important and very also quite exciting. I think it, it's great to be a part of these proceedings, but, are, you know, uh, and to be involved in this issue itself. We do see a lot of outside the legal speak um, and the legal context discussion around notions around shared unity and this kind of concept of a shared island Mm -hmm. and maybe changing the language a little bit to bring people to the table to have those discussions. How important do you think it is to really engage with people across the community? So yes, this case is fantastic in that it's looking at the legal aspects and the obligations that have been set out in the Good Friday Agreement as well. But just aside from that, you being from here as well, me being Mm -hmm. from here, what how do you see it evolving, I suppose, in terms of just you know, common language and how we engage with people around this issue. Well, um, that that's a, that's a very um, good question um, because I think that what needs to to happen is there needs to be a departure uh, from tribal politics, politics of orange and green, and as as you say, uh, perhaps a you know a, a more um, select a, a approach to how we we uh, discuss about these um, discuss these issues. I think um, that, you know, it needs to be a shared island. There needs to be a place, you know, I'm saying hypothetically in, in a United Ireland situation, mm-hmm. it, you know, um, there, there needs to be a place for unionism mm-hmm. uh, w- within that. And and uh, really, um, you know, there needs to be more work carried out in, um, you know, essentially uh, setting out how um, we, we could live in a, sh- a shared island, especially for... Uh, people from the unionist community, so um, I, I think going forward that that is a, that's a very important uh, issue. Uh, as you say, my my um, my client, the applicant, in these proceedings, he is a unionist, um, but he is unique in Northern Ireland. In my opinion, he has no allegiance to any uh, to any political party. Um, he is a, a very fair, um, very. Um, honourable person um, who I have uh, 
Um, I, th- I th- think you'll see there, sir, that a, a lot of my cases um, involve uh, Mr. McCord. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's a victims' rights campaigner. He's yes. been campaigning for, um, you know, twenty three years now for just just for an inquest for his son, which has never occurred. Mm-hmm. But his his uh, modus operandi, if you like, is um, to sustain uh, peace here in Northern Ireland because mm-hmm. he he believes that the our peace is so fragile. Um, and and this is the problem. Um, hypothetically, tomorrow morning. Um, the British government could announce that a border poll take place, mm-hmm. and that's unfair. That yes. you know, uh, there, there there needs to be there needs to be transparency. There needs to be a policy. Um, it, it all needs to be uh, laid on the table for everyone to see this situation where the uh, British government um, simply bury their head in the sand. Nobody knows what the situation is. It doesn't help um, either um, nationalists or unionists. Unionists obviously want to uh, maintain the union, but um, you know. Uh, Boris Johnson, um, he uh, sold the DUP a puppy, um, mm. and uh, you know, tomorrow the British government could, as I say, uh, call a referendum, and and unionists need to know that they need to know that um, a policy is only of benefit to everyone. Mm-hmm. So really, this case, it's it's not about uh, nationalism or unionism. It's about um, having clarity. So mm-hmm. that really, so that the mistakes of Brexit don't occur again, yeah. because you'll rec- you know Brexit the the referendum was just such a mess, um, and that's what led to those um, Supreme Court challenges um, regarding you know whether or not the the fifty six percent of people in Northern Ireland who voted against Brexit uh, you know could Brexit go ahead? Uh-huh. Um, so <laughs> I know all, all of these issues uh, interlink. Um, they do, and I mean that's how your case. I suppose it was a general challenge, but of course it links back to that very specific issue. Like Gina Miller, I suppose was the other applicant in one of these matters. She had her own specific issue as well. Um, but yes, again, <laughs> I mean it's ongoing, I guess. Yes. But it's still very, very timely and very, very relevant. Um, can you just maybe explain that a little bit? Just how Mr. McCords, so he's a victims' rights campaigner in Northern Ireland. Um, we've heard a little bit about his background um, and the challenges that he's faced in trying to get an inquest. How does that, just for listeners, tie in to what had happened at the time you took the case around Parliament in the UK and the challenge against Brexit itself? So uh, how it all ties in is uh, because uh, uh, essentially Mr McCord, um, he is all about uh, his his um, whole um, modus operandi, as I say, is to... Um, seek justice for his son mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's a victim of the troubles here and he never wants to see a situation where we go back to those those mm-hmm. times and, uh, and and essentially keep the peace so to keep the peace in Northern Ireland it's all you know it all comes back to the Good Friday Agreement yeah. and respecting the Good Friday Agreement so the Good, Fr- Good Friday Agreement um, was the major issue in his uh, 2016 um, challenge to Brexit because um, we were saying that uh, the principle of consent has to be respected and the people of Northern Ireland have voted against Brexit. Um, so it, it all linked, interlinks his, his whole um, quest for justice for his son and as I say he is a victim's rights campaigner and he does so much in the society to, to, to help people. I have, uh, I have a lot of respect for him and um, I, I spend a, a lot of time um, on his cases and in particular uh, basically, uh, fighting uh, to try and get 
an inquest yeah. uh, for his son. I mean, uh, I think uh, in, in any other Europe, it, it wouldn't happen in no, any other European absolutely. country. Uh, 23 years is just shocking, you know. It really, really is. So very interesting stuff there. And what's in terms of um, the next, the proceedings and the legal challenge, how, what's, what are the next steps and how is that proceeding? In terms of the border poll? In ter- yeah, in terms of that case. In terms of border poll, um, so we've already been to our High Court and Court of Appeal mm-hmm. um, and, and essentially um, what, what our, our courts here have said is that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a wide discretion um, and uh, it's up to the Secretary of State and we can't look beyond that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the legal principles of um, the legal principle of a policy, whether or not, you know, that that's a, a requirement in law, that's quite a niche and novel yeah. um, legal issue. So um, that that is one we believe for the Supreme Court. And we have uh, put in an application uh, to seek leave to appeal from the Supreme Court. We're still waiting on a decision in that. Okay. So um, either way, a huge amount of groundwork to be done. Um, regardless of the outcome, as you said, you know, we've witnessed too many, um, both in this jurisdiction and other jurisdictions, kind of referendums and votes that were not, there was no groundwork, there was no clarity, no transparency there. So it's hugely vital for the sake of peace here that that happens, you know, and that we give that time to happen, as you said, in, um, you know, in fairness to, to everybody here. So that's, I mean, just personally, how, how does it feel to be involved in, in that type of, of case, you know? I th- I, well, uh, personally, um, it's uh, it's just so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to uh, put the file down. Yeah. I, can't, I can't, you know, the, these um, these are exactly, as a lawyer, um, you know, it's exactly the kind of case that, that I uh, wanted to be uh, dealing with. Yeah. Um, so v- very, very, very lucky uh, that I've um, been involved in these different challenges and, and and all that they do is encourage me more to um you know uh, look at the different issues that we have in society and and, and uh, suffice to say there are many issues in northern ireland northern mm-hmm. ireland is a a bit of a basket case perhaps uh, <laughs> with, with issues you know yeah anyone that we've had on any lawyers here that's rose about our little corner of the world it's very it is very unique it's very particular mm. and i think it's it makes sense that this is where our podcast is born you know this talk about activist lawyer and it's very important because we have our own very particular challenges here as well um you know we can compare it to other jurisdictions but i think we're unique in a sense and as you said there's a whole you know basket a mix of cases just on that what other cases i suppose are you currently looking at um in terms of maybe that are of a human rights um, aspect or a public law um aspect herein um so some other uh, challenges that i uh, am currently dealing with um i have another case that um i have uh, applied to the supreme court uh, to appeal in and that's still pending that is the uh, marina lennon case that's a case where uh, my client um was receiving Unfortunately, her husband uh, passed away and um, therefore she was entitled to uh, widowed parents allowance. Mm-hmm. But uh, upon um, commencing uh, another uh, re- relationship after her husband passed away, she was told, well, you're no longer entitled to that benefit. Um, and that, that struck, so my client presented me with that um, issue and that struck me as being unfair. That uh, struck me as being a bar to uh, taking up another relationship, it would uh, you know in, mm-hmm. in some circumstances would put um, people off. Yeah, and it's you know Article Article Eight um, Human Rights 
seemed to be an infringement of that. So that's what that case is about. Um, and uh, yes, it's um, at the Supreme Court stage. Hopefully right. we, we get leave. You Very know. good. And it's, that's, again, another important issue. And comparatively, I mean... I'm presuming there's children involved in the in you know it must be a child-centered approach as well. Oh yes. Um, when you look at other European countries who apply a completely different um, criteria and approach when it comes to um, benefits like um, you know widowed parents allowance or something similar. Mm-hmm. So again, we're very unique in that aspect in that uh, regard. But it's something that will impact so many people. So that's that's a great um, a great example. And yeah, so, I mean, there's so many different aspects there. I'm very, very impressed. And of course, the title of our podcast, so, you know, we discussed it there is Activist Lawyer. And with our guests, we like to just ask them their opinion on why this matters, why this podcast or this discussion and this narrative matters, um, particularly given where we live, but just in general. And maybe you could relate that question back to your own experience there and in your cases and the importance of, of activism, I guess, not just in the legal community, but in general. I think it's so important. Um, you know, um, going back to prorogation, mm-hmm. 2019, uh, there was uh, there was an outcry at that time uh, by the um, by the government. Look at these lawyers challenging us, the government. To, um, you know the decision to prorogue Parliament mm-hmm. uh, was made by uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and basically um, the the soundings coming from Downing Street were lawyers cannot uh, uh, challenge um, the uh, the government and and the rule of law. Is secondary, you know, that mm-hmm. that essentially what they're saying is the rule of law is secondary to uh, the government, the the executive and, and parliament. Um, and I really, uh, I strongly uh, disagree with that um, that assertion. Um, there are three pillars of power. There is the the uh, the executive. There's the there's parliament, and then there's the rule of law. Um, and, and, and in particular in Northern Ireland. Um, we have had an, an executive uh, which was uh, was shut down uh, for um, a couple of years. I mean, it's ludicrous. Um, we, we even the news just um, just uh, yesterday that broke um, about the, um, the the troubles pension, how that was all set up by our politicians. And then the next thing is uh, there's no funding. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, what, what I'm trying to get at is um, we can't we can't just. Um, the responsibility of running society cannot just be, um, you know, the uh, resp- you know, up to politicians yeah. and and uh, because quite often they get it so wrong. Qu- mm-hmm. Quite often they can't get it together and they get it so wrong. So the rule of law is there, um, to um, the the courts are there as a in particular in relation to judicial review is there as a supervisor. Uh, and a regulator uh, to make sure that everything uh, runs smoothly. If we didn't have judicial review, if we didn't have um, that facility uh, to uh, challenge, um, you know, uh, issues of, of uh, you know, this magnitude, Brexit and border mm-hmm. poll, etc. If we if we didn't have that, we would be in a very bleak society, in my opinion. Um, so activism um, uh, and uh, the rule of law is so important. And um, these uh, th- these people, in particular, the the, the British government, um, that have come out and, and said, you know, that that needs to be 
suppressed. I mm -hmm. think that as a lawyer um, or as, as lawyers, we, we should uh, defend our position yeah. and uh, because there's a lot of a lot of good work, um, but not not even just the high profile cases, but, you know, uh, even even uh, cases on behalf of the, the individual. Um, they're all just so important and we need to maintain that. And my, um, I just don't want a situation where people's rights and uh, people's right to challenge the government is eroded away. Yeah, which has been a threat. I mean, the recent threats to that have been very prevalent of late. So, I mean, an excellent, excellent summary and a great way to finish today's episode. And um, really, thank you so much for coming in, Kieran. With so much to talk, we could actually go into all of those details as separate uh, issues, as separate podcasts. But again, thanks so much for coming and talking about all of your your work. I will watch closely, and I wish you the best of luck with those cases. It's fantastic. And if anybody would like to look at our blog and download our, our podcast, they'll find it at www.activistlawyer.com. So that is us saying goodbye here from the Granite Podcast Studio in the heart of Newry City. Thank you everyone for listening and feel free to contact us if you'd like to contribute or find out more about what we're doing. Thanks a million. Bye. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.